Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this a podcast of? The magical words, wellness, and help, and information, and bringing up diseases that people go through every day and are trying to improve, to feel better, to get better quality of life. So I always have guests that make you feel warm on the inside, to hear amazing stories. And today my guest is all about something called longevity. Now, why wouldn't I want some longevity? It sounds great. I know my listeners want it. So this is going to be the topic for today. And of course, because it's my podcast, I get to bring some cool friends. And this one, he's actually one of my buds, and I'm super proud of him. And he's come such a super long way in all these accomplishments. Every time I talk to him, I'm just, I mean, I'm kind of jealous, actually. So <laughs> anyway, today's guest is going to be Dr. Kian Vu. And here's his bio. This is one of the most sought after longevity and performance physicians in the country. He received his undergraduate degree in biochemistry and medical degree from the University of California, San Diego. Uh, he has trained at the nation's most prestigious medical institutions, including the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, the National Institute of Health, and now an assistant clinical professor at UCLA School of Medicine. You know, we can't all be Trojans, but that, that's all right. I'll, I won't hold him against him. He is a board-certified diagnostic and interventional radiologist who eventually pivoted from conventional medicine on a mission to help people reclaim their health. His vision not only stems from miraculous recoveries he witnessed as a physician, but from overcoming his own health challenges. He is fellowship-trained and board-certified by the American Board of Anti-Aging and Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Vu founded the Vu MD Clinic to specialize in human optimization and integrative medicine. He is the author of the book, Thrive State, Your Blueprint for Optimal Health, Longevity, and Peak Performance. He's given TED Talks. He has oodles of content uh, <laughs> that you can find about him. He is animated in all his live events and focuses on holistic approach to healing. He's been featured on numerous TV shows and outlets, including The Doctors, Access Hollywood, as well as many local and national news stations, magazines, and newspapers. With that being said, Dr. Vu, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing awesome. And you know, one of the things that I feel pretty bad for the audience is they don't get to see the live animated video of you as you're as you're doing the intro. This is this is entertainment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, you know, we that, that's one of the things we do have in common. And I think that if we did have a video here, people love to see this banter. We both got our hands and our smiles. So one of the numerous things I love talking with you about, you know. So hey, let's do a little meet and greet stuff. So I, I'm kind of excited to hear the story because I'm an immigrant and my mom is Filipino, my dad's Indian, and yeah, they moved eventually to America to do wonderful things for me. And I'm always, always appreciative. So I know that you have a story and I want to hear all about it. So tell me about your journey. You know what? I didn't know you were half Filipino. Oh, well, this is a, a kind of a reveal podcast. I oh, am wow. half Filipino. <laughs> oh, he's coming out of the closet today. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I was born in Vietnam shortly after the Vietnam War, and uh, it was such that my parents needed to flee the country because the new regime just kind of took over all the businesses, and they, my parents thought there was no future for me there, and so they boarded me along with 2,000 other refugees on this refugee boat escaping Vietnam. I was the only infant to survive. I mean, the whole boat was packed like sardines. We spent another three months in a Philippine refugee camp, and then uh, we were sponsored to America in 1979, dating myself, uh, <laughs> by a Catholic church. And one would think, hey, you know what? A kid who's gone through all that, only infant to survive this boat journey, would be very grateful uh, when, when he got to America. And uh, couldn't say that was the case. You know, I mean, I looked at where we lived. We lived in a small, cramped apartment with several different uncles. So it was like, you know, seven people in this 400 square foot apartment. I watched TV and I would see the kids on TV and none of them looked like me. And then I got bused <laughs> to a more affluent area for school. And I remember it being constantly teased for like the holes in my hand-me-down clothes, for the stinky food my mom sent me to school with, you know, the go back to your home country, chinky, you know, uh, those type of slurs. And so I, I just remember for the longest time, uh, I didn't really like being myself. I didn't feel like I was enough or worthy. And I just remember constantly feeling like I needed to succeed or needed some kind of badge of armor from the outside to feel worthy. You know, as a kid, I wanted to do entertainment, but there was one, no Asian males there that were on TV that wasn't like caricatured. Um, and I didn't know any martial arts. So, I mean, I didn't think there was a chance for me to do that. And plus, my mom was like, look, you know what? We came all across the world for, to give you a future. And you want to do media and entertainment? So my mom generously gave me three offers of being a, a doctor, an MD, or a physician. <laughs> so I went to medical school. And again, you know, the way I, I tried to hide the not enoughness I had inside was succeeding, you know? have a cool personality, have a sense of humor and succeed. And so uh, that's what I try to do in medical school. You know, we can go into like why I chose my specialty and whatnot, but. Well, uh, I no, I got a good question. I'm, I'm going to go rogue on you. I'm just going to make up a question sure. here because, All you right. know, you do enjoy people and talking and you are animated. So why did you go in radiology by itself? And I have a lot of friends who are radiologists, but I got to tell you, you guys are cramped up in some dark corner. You don't <laughs> like talking to me most of the time. So that seemed opposite of where you'd want to go. You know what right. I mean? So how did you make right. that decision? Well, that actually turned out to be somewhat of a blessing. I made that decision because uh, in my first year, we had anatomy. 
And I had uh, an anatomy TA just rave about radiology. Like it's the first letter to the road of success in medical school. The road <laughs> standing for radiology, ophthalmology, anesthesia, and dermatology. Like these, these lifestyle residencies that got compensated really well. And I was like, all right, I, I should probably shoot for that. And I was also sort of thinking that by the off chance that I end up in entertainment at some point, maybe being in radiology, I could, you know, set my own hours and, and not necessarily okay. need to, to, to be at a clinic, you know, for patients. But I found after my first year radiology residency that, oh my God, I don't, I, I'm not meant to be in a dark room. And so very shortly thereafter, you know, I went from thinking that I was going to do something away from patients to pretty much a surgeon lifestyle by going into interventional radiology. You know, uh, for, for the people who are listening, interventional radiology is a specialty where you use medical imaging to perform minimally invasive procedures. And so it pretty much is a surgeon lifestyle. There's an inpatient consult team, there's outpatient clinic. That's how I became an interventional radiologist. I'm curious now. Now, interventional radiology, dude, is definitely taken over and has taken over. What what did you focus on? We never really talk about this when we hang out. Are you are you more of a vascular? Do you do more of the brain, more of the, the GI tract? Are you doing like a tips procedure? What what do you do? Well, I mean, it's it's pivoted. Um, when I first started out, you know, my first job out of fellowship was Kaiser Los Angeles. It was the tertiary care facility, mm-hmm. all Kaiser facilities. And I did interventional radiology basically outside the head and outside the heart. But mm-hmm. we pretty much went through every, every blood vessel, vein or artery that's in the rest of the body. So I treated fibroids. I treated uh, liver tumors with, with uh, chemo-normalization. Okay. I did some vascular work, opened up you know some clogged arteries. And I also did cross-sectional work, like, uh, you know, biopsies and ablations of tumors and things like that. I I had a subspecialty in thoracic imaging and interventions. And so I I started to do uh, lung ablations and things like that as well. Earlier on, that's kind of what I did. And when I went out, and yes, I did tips. You mentioned tips. (laughs) And for people who don't know what I'm talking about, because sometimes I get caught up in the medical jargon. That's something you do for people who have like really bad liver disease, cirrhosis, and yuck. They could kind of like just tend to bleed a lot in their esophagus. So you're saving lives, man. You should be super proud. Your mom should be clapping in the background for doing Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Until I stopped doing full-time interventional radiology. (laughs) Like, what? Uh, Yeah, I I was at a managed care facility for a while. Then I went out and I did private practice. And, you know, a couple of years into the private practice, I was basically chief of interventional radiology at that hospital. And this was what, about maybe about six, seven years ago, uh, or six years ago, I was overweight. I was diabetic. I had high blood pressure and I was on prescription meds. And I realized that uh, I was going to probably end up in my own PAD, you know, have peripheral arterial disease if mm-hmm. I didn't reverse things around. And I also realized that we weren't really given the tools in medical school to be well and healthy. In fact, the whole culture of medical training is, I believe, very counterintuitive to good health. I mean, doctors are stressed out all the time. They're, they're basically <laughs> not sleeping regular hours. Uh, we, we, we didn't get any nutrition education in, in medical school. In fact, all the hospital cafeteria food is, is junk. Uh, and, <laughs> and I believe there's a McDonald's in one of the hospitals I was working with. And that was a children's hospital, mind you. 
So I realized I wasn't given the tools and I had to do a lot of additional things. And um, I, I studied nutrition, epigenetics. I got a board fellowship in anti-aging or regenerative medicine. And I reversed a lot of those conditions with, with just how I changed my life. And it was all lifestyle. So ladies and gentlemen, how you live is medicine. The, the, the way you approach every single day is, is medicine or it could be poison if you, if you live it the wrong way. I was able to reverse all those conditions in, in a matter of six months. And now I'm helping clients do it even quicker. So many you know, men come to me and they are you know, insulin resistant or, you know, or diabetic. They've got that gut and uh, all that stuff can be reversed. And I, I could do it much quicker than six months now. Well, let, let's uh, before we go into that, yeah. I want to talk about this uh, this TED talk you had. But yeah. it's funny just to kind of parlay in what you said. So, hey, we we just opened a Dunkin' Donuts at USC. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like laughing while you're talking to me, and I did go there this morning. Everyone, I'm, I'm confessing up right now, but um, I can see where you're going with this. But you know what? I think TED talks are. Awesome. I personally have never been on a TED Talk. And um, hey, you did a topic called the unconventional prescription. You are your best medicine. So was it a little nerve wracking preparing for it? And can you tell me about the vision? And why did you choose that topic of all the topics you could talk about? Yeah, well, I mean, when I was diabetic and overweight and had high blood pressure, I was on lisinopril. I was on metformin several other drugs. I, you know, I was taking Ambien to go to bed every night oh. and I was just on prescription meds and, yep. and things weren't getting better. And, and basically it, w- it went from like half a pill to a full pill, et cetera, et cetera. And I knew the path that it was going to continue in. And basically that's the path of a lot of the patients that, that I end up seeing where I have to open up their, their arteries. I just told myself there needed to be another way. We, we do lip service. We say, oh yeah, eat this, exercise this, do that. And I was saying that when I was overweight. So I think we, we are always taught in medical school to live a healthy lifestyle, but I'm going to be you know, very honest. I don't know what medical training is like now, but I, with all my classmates, I would probably say less than 5% you know, actually lived a healthy lifestyle. And a lot of people just weren't well. And so yeah. when I started to shift how just sleeping regular hours, eating better food and how I live my life and, and really, really monitor my stress, I reversed all those things very, very quickly. And so was it the medicines that did it? Absolutely not. And unfortunately, as MDs, that's what we push on people because we simply don't have the time to actually, that's the other thing too. I mean, the the way care is delivered these days, you have so little time to really get into the life of your patient, to be able to understand their life and to get some leverage. I mean, if if we want to change your life, you need to get them to have some compelling vision of their future and why doing the same thing is detrimental for them. And they're not going to be able to be there at the level that they want to be with their families. And so that was it. I mean, when I was able to reverse that without additional medications, I felt like I needed to come out and talk about that a little bit more. Ah, so it was kind of like your journey and how you did it. And did you get some pearls of how to do it during the talk? Were people taking notes like this is the trick? Yeah, well, I mean, it was a TED talk. I mean, I I do have an online course called the Five State Accelerator, drop, drop. Go to kianvu.com to check it out. (laughs) Well, hey, it's kind of cool. You're treating some celebrities, some executives. So it seems like in our conversation, you're waving goodbye to interventional radiology and now it seems like, I guess you're doing like a concierge longevity service. How, how is that transition and what are things that are going to be unique to what you do right now? 
Well, um, I got to say the transition was a little bit hard because, you know, particularly somebody who was so fixed on success and money on my bank account and, and my house to leave all that because I sold my house. I sold, you know, I the lease for my fancy car was up and <laughs> I, I said goodbye to full time interventional radiology. I thought that was a great move initially. But, you know, when you're so used to, you know, I'm going to be honest. I, I flashed those things around. I invited people over, you know, I <laughs> went on lots of dates with a fancy car, but it was just all these or show things on the outside. But when you make that first transition and I moved into my parents' house with basically security bars on all the windows, two liquor stores down the street, I'm like, wow, this is a bit of a, a shock. It's a beautiful lesson because, you know, over, over that time during COVID in, in particular, you just learn that your self-worth your self-love is so important. And anybody actually who's alive has that. You don't need anything on the outside. And you really need to be able to develop the muscle of feeling that on the inside, no matter what's happening to you. And that's that was a part of the journey. So, you know, it wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm gonna quit interventional radiology. All of a sudden I'm on TV. <laughs> I had this goal, I had this goal of, of being in medicine. So the first thing I did, I came out and you know, somebody told me to hire a PR agent. And they, they were like, okay, well. We'll make you famous. Give us five thousand dollars every month, and, and we'll put you on TV. Six months later, which was like basically two Civics I could have bought. Um, <laughs> there was no TV, but you know we make our mistakes and we keep going for our dreams. But my idea really was okay. Can I can I use media and entertainment only because I had a proclivity for doing so? Um, can I use that as a vehicle to deliver messages of good health? you know, very similar to my TED talk. And because I was able to reverse all this myself, here's the thing. When you reverse disease, you not only just get rid of feeling like crap, you also become the best version of you. I have more energy. I am stronger. I am smarter. I am faster. I am probably more of a superhuman now than I was 20 years ago. So I feel a, a lot younger and stronger than I was 20 years ago. So this is what actually happens is you turn off the genes of disease and you turn on the genes of longevity and peak performance. And that's that whole concept of epigenetics that, yes, you get DNA from mom and dad. Mm. And that's just the blueprint. You know, you have to give that DNA signals in terms of what, you know, what genes are going to be turned off, what genes are going to be turned on. That signal is how you live your life. You live your life in a crap way. You're, you give your DNA stress signals and you're going to have inflammation, eventually symptoms and chronic disease. However, you give your, your DNA the right signals. Mm -hmm. Well, then you have longevity, optimal health and peak performance. And so one, I wanted to do that and, and, and really wanted to share that with the world. That's why the book, that's why the TV and all that. Uh, and then I also still wanted to be relevant clinically, although just not in a, in a hospital setting. And so I opened my concierge practice where I work mainly with men, very, very small practice where again, I get, I really have the opportunity to understand them at a very, very deep level. You know, yeah. what their fears are, what, what's keeping them up at night, what are their stress levels like? And then from doing that, as well as a lot of personal development work, I was able to coach them out of disease, not give them more meds. Now, where does the book fall in? You know, I got to tell you, writing a book is not an easy task. You know, it starts off with the vision and what you want to do, but then there's the work of getting it done and getting it out there. So how was the, the journey of writing a book and where did that fall in timeline wise of being an interventional radiologist, going to uh, now in concierge. And tell us about that story and about the book and what is the, the purpose behind it? After reversing disease myself and then giving that TED talk, I knew the power of 
how you live affecting basically biology. And actually, your biography also affects your biology, the story that you tell yourself, right? If you tell yourself, if you're in a victim mode, woe is me, things like that, you're in stress, you're turning on those stress emotions in your body. Cortisol goes up, inflammatory markers, including IL-1, IL-16 up, alpha go up, and then your immune system drops. And again, that milieu mm-hmm. you know, creates disease in our body. You know, when I t- did my anti-aging fellowship, I studied populations where they were living the longest. And if you're familiar with the book, The Blue Zones, there are five areas all over the world. Ok- Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, Loma Linda, California. Go figure. Uh, yeah, go figure, right? <laughs> yeah, Costa Rica, and then also Greece. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there were some common themes that came up. It was like, you know, moving every day having a community, having a tribe, having a sense of purpose and all these things. And, you know, they came up with these conclusions that basically eating a certain way, all these things I just mentioned, it's a longevity. And sure, that's nice, really, you know, social studies data. But what I did was I started to look at regions of the DNA that were markers for longevity, like telomeres, for example. Telomeres, you know, if people don't know, they're basically these end caps of your DNA, extra base pairs that protect your DNA from fraying every time a cell divides. So the shorter your telomeres get, you have the chance of losing genetic information every time a cell divides. And basically its length is correlated with disease as well as longevity. And so I looked at that. And if you read the book, uh, The Telomere Effect by Elizabeth Blackburn, she talks about all these lifestyle factors that basically mimic everything that they were doing in the blue zones. Um, you know, there was a few extra things that she mentioned that was not mentioned in the blue zones, which was like making sure you got adequate sleep and things like that. And then I studied another region of the DNA called the CTRA or conserved transcriptional response to adversity. This is almost like the stress or danger response. It's a gene cluster of about, I don't know, 120 genes or so that code for immunoglobulins, inflammatory factors, and things like that. If this gene set gets activated, basically inflammation goes up and cellular immunity goes down. So that's what happens when, when you've got a saber-toothed tiger coming behind you. That's what happens. Why? Because if, if you get a flesh wound, you want your blood to be able to coagulate quickly. And, and you have all these inflammatory markers on. And who cares if you get an infection or cancer if you're going to be somebody's lunch? So let's dial down the immune system, right? Fortunately, we don't have saber-toothed tigers anymore. Unfortunately, people are replacing that by spilled milk or people cutting them off on the freeway. And then you turn on the CRTA. And what we've also noticed with this is the more it's activated, the more likely people are going to get diabetes, heart disease, dementia, and all these other things. Ugh. And guess what? Yeah. What turns them off? Sleep, nutrition, movement, emotional stress mastery, our thoughts and mindset, having relationships and a sense of purpose. And then I started to study another <laughs> genetic test, these, these epigenetic tests that basically give you your biological age. And those same factors started to correlate. And so I basically looked at what affects longevity and optimal health the most. And it's, it boiled down to seven things, which I just said, sleep, nutrition, movement, our emotions, our thoughts, relationships, and a sense of purpose. And here's the thing. This is what I basically screen my clients with. If I could optimize their life in those seven areas, most of these lifestyle conditions and symptoms fall away. I take a look at their labs and things like that. And, you know, I might optimize their hormones and things like that, but it's mainly lifestyle. And here's the thing, why I wanted to write that book. It's like, wow, 
you could actually become your own doctor because if you focus on these seven things in your life, your ability to perform at your best will be optimized and your ability of getting chronic disease is actually going to shrink down a lot. I wasn't worthy of getting the hard copy version of your book. You only gave me the uh, PDF version. I thought we're closer <laughs> than that. But um, how did it feel like holding that book up? You know, was it hard finishing it? Was it like at the end, fatigue's kicking in? And was it great holding it up for the first time? No, it felt good when, when you pick up the, the book. And, you know, I'm a little vain and I'm, I'm right on the cover of the book. So I'm like, hey, there's a good looking guy staring right back at me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you know what? And it also makes sense now. I don't think I knew about all these things you're going to be accomplishing when we first became friends. But now I see why uh, you're buddy with me, the sleep doctor. I'm one of your pillars, right? I'm one of the the core things, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So let me ask you this. What role does emotions, thoughts, and just, you know, we've been talking a lot about mindset also. I mean, how does that really kind of play on our, our physical health? So those seven things I just talked about are basically, you know, make up five energetic sources. I mean, we've got physical, nutrition, sleep, and exercise, then we've got mental, emotional, social, and then spiritual. Us as docs, we can kind of focus on the physical part. And people are starting to understand more and more that the emotional, mental, social, and spiritual part play a role in health. I just bring out the science to show people because it's not woo-woo anymore. We're starting to see that. And uh-huh. so we know that emotions like anger hate, resentment, guilt, worry, uh, drives up cortisol in our body. And if we're stuck in those emotional states chronically, I mean, look, if, if something bad happened and, you know, let's say there was a death in a family or grieving, that's okay. When it wow. becomes chronic and this is something that, you know, your mood is angry all the time or whatever it is, you're going to have chronic elevations of cortisol. And again, what I mentioned is, other inflammatory markers go up. TNF-alpha, IL-6, IL-1 all go up in these chronic stress states. And again, basically every single disease in, in the body has this component of inflammation in there. You know, basically every disease, that's, that's what it is. It's inflammation of something. Like you got inflammation of your esophagus, esophagitis. You got inflammation of your lung, pneumonitis. So it's all inflammation. <laughs> so you want to you bring that stuff down. So- we also know that emotions of gratitude, people have started to study emotions of gratitude, that if people were actually to sink into that emotion, we actually see TNF-alpha drop in these people. So you have these positive emotions that are basically anti-aging. And so that's the emotional component. Our mental component is the following. Like, look, yeah. we can't control what we think about or the thoughts that go through, right? You just try to stop thinking and, and guess what happens? Every time I meditate, I'm like, stop thinking, stop you get a, a shitload of thoughts go through your mind, right? <laughs> and the thing is, a majority of them are going to be negative as well. That's just the wiring of the human brain to keep us safe. You know, all these negative thoughts, we're not enough, we're not worthy, we don't belong in that thing. It, it keeps us safe, but they are negative thoughts. And even though we can't control those thoughts, one of the things we can't control is our focus. We could focus on the thoughts that are empowering and we could look at the thoughts that are disempowering and say, okay, that's just a thought. I don't have to think this, right? You know, what you focus on expands. If you start to focus on, on the negative things, then you'll get the negative emotions. And then right. you get, you know, right. the information. You start to focus on things that are empowering, then all of a sudden, okay, you shift the way you feel, you shift the way you feel. Again, you're shifting 
uh, inflammatory levels in your body. So that's how your thoughts come into play. There's a little bit more that I'm going to go into my next book. But no. yes, spirituality too. I mean, if people study longevity, that sense of purpose is really mm-hmm. important. And some people, oh, what's your purpose? Purpose is actually pretty simple. It's just sort of living the most authentic version of you. You know, so the things that bring you joy, the things that light you up, that's you. That's something you were gifted with. And if you can share your gift with the world and help the world in some way, that's purpose. So so your purpose is, is just sharing you with the world, sharing the most authentic version of you. So let me ask you this then. Uh, how would you advise someone who's struggling? And I'm using that term just broadly to find their purpose. Well, I would say, you know, follow those emotions again. Follow the things that kind of bring you joy. So the cool thing about how we're wired is we're wired in such a way where our DNA gifts us with the things that make us feel good. You know, so is it teaching? Is it karaoke? Is it, you know, whatever those things are, you just do that more. If you start to do more of that, number one, you're going to start to feel better. Guess what? When you start feeling better, you're going to start it'll be easier to make healthier choices for yourself. When you start feeling better, like your productivity um, at work is going to be better. You start feeling better, you're going to start making healthier choices for yourself because it's easier to make healthier choices for yourself when you're feeling good about yourself. And so look to those activities that that light you up and you keep following that. You're like, oh my God, if I could share this with somebody else, that's purpose. Your purpose is really just discovering who you are again and just living as that. Because I feel like when I look at my 17-month, old daughter. She's an explorer. She's out there. She's happy. I mean, there's a, there's very few times she will just sit and cry and throw a big tantrum. But I feel like, you know, as we grow up, we have maybe parents, society put in uh, messages that, hey, you know what? The thing that you love to do, you're not going to make money at it from doing that. That's not a real job. Stop doing that. Start being more responsible and doing this, you know? And I think for many of us, some people start to forget who they are because they live in a life that the world says, hey, this is what you should be striving for. More money, more this. This will make you happy. And this is what I call sort of, you know, I, I think the movie The Matrix, you know, says it's like living in the matrix, you know, this game of other people's rules and lives that you're living by. And for me, I think that's what gave me chronic disease. When I started to say no to myself and live up to somebody's expectation of what my life should look like. Well, you know, I want to make sure I, I squeeze one more in there before I ask you what's next. So, you know, I have seen pictures of your daughter on social media. She is adorable. She's the cutest button in the whole world. So yeah. what's been the hardest part of being a dad? Is it the sleep? Is it the language? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I would probably, she, she has been adorable. I mean, the, I think the sleep definitely gets to you a little bit. However, you know, she's just so adorable. It's awesome. I would probably say... The managing of the household with a new one on board, uh, it was probably the most difficult part of it. Well, what about one more? Is there, is there room for one more in the fam or are we throwing in? I, I, I'll be shooting for it, but we'll see. You kind of you know, threw me a little hint, but w- what is next in your life? I mean, you've been accomplishing things since we really last hanged out. I'm just so impressed. Book and what's next? What else do you want to do? I, I enjoy doing these podcasts. I mean, there's a goofy side of me that I, I, I don't think I, I share a lot. And there's, there's a lot of other aspects. And, you know, the matrix is created, I think, a lot by media, you know, entertainment media or where people have the attention and where people's attention are is how they think they, they should live their life. And for me, I want to give people a more empowering message that they should be living life a different way, particularly if they're not very happy with where they're 
at now. And so I want to bring media and entertainment and use myself as a vehicle to get this health empowerment message. You know, will it be a show on national television or Netflix or whatever it is? Um, it's there. I'll be shooting a pilot actually next month. It's for a small project, but <laughs> you know, those things could potentially lead to bigger things. And so, yeah, it's pretty exciting. You know, and, you know, circling back to the first question I asked you, you know, being an immigrant and the whole story you said coming from Vietnam, that's why it makes me really proud for you. And you deserve all these things. And I've seen when we used to hang out, <laughs> these really funny videos about sleep. <laughs> you truly enjoy making other people happy. And I know that you won't be able to see it when you hear my podcast, but this guy is the real deal. So tell people who are listening, um, how can they find you if they're interested to have you as a doctor or to get you on a show or whatever? How do they find you? Yeah, you can find me on my website, kienvu.com. I am on Instagram at Dr. VMD. And uh, yeah, everything's on the website. You can find a YouTube channel, Twitter, TikTok, things like that. And of course, I'm going to put this in the show notes. If everyone wants to see it or hear it or click on it, you can do it that way. And hey, let me just uh, end off by saying, you're awesome. Thank you for taking the time on a Saturday. That's when we're recording this to hang out with your old buddy over here. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone, that was the Dr. Raj podcast for this week. Stay tuned for more awesome and interesting guests and wonderful stories to come. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Mm-hmm.